0: Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, there has been another significant death this year. 2018 is turning out to be quite a sad year in many ways. Of course, I told you that last month, Art Bell passed away, and I did a whole podcast about the uh, profound influence that Art Bell had on my life. And now I found out that several days ago, brad steiger died and brad steiger was one of those guys um i just can't say enough good things about him and his attitude toward this kind of phenomena um that i study and that we're all interested in i mean i started reading brad steiger's books when i was a kid Uh, he was 82 years old and he must have started writing when he was a very young man uh i don't know how many books that he wrote uh but if you just type his name into amazon.com it brings up hundreds of references so i have no doubt that he wrote or was involved with the writing of hundreds of books and uh Brad, one book he wrote that I thought was really fascinating that I read when I was young was called Mysteries of Time and Space. And one great thing about his work is that it's hard to pick out one of his books and say, oh, yeah, this is the book where he talked about this and that and this and that. And that's because I get the feeling after all these years that all of his books are sort of part of a collective body. He really had... That understanding that a lot of people don't have that I'm always sort of uh, hammering on that all of this stuff that we consider paranormal is connected and for one thing it must be because we live in a universe in which everything is connected and yet the relationship between these things like ghosts and aliens and UFOs and cryptids and psychic phenomena those are, are much more closely related than people often realize And he got that. And he was one of those people who could see life from an interdimensional perspective. Um, He had had many paranormal experiences himself. uh, And he had a a very sort of rational, uh, fatherly kind of demeanor. When you heard Brad talking, he didn't sound like some kind of kook. I mean, he sounded like a very thoughtful, intelligent person who really had a deeper insight into what was going on behind the scenes. And so when I became a radio host, one of the first people that I contacted for an interview was Brad Steiger. And he came on the show, and he was just such a nice, warm presence. And he, you know, everything that came out of his mouth was thought-provoking. He was one of the most uh, excellent guests I ever had. And we hit it off so well that after that... Um, Brad started calling me and asking me to come on to radio shows with him. And so, uh, and of course, that that's quite uncommon, you know, but, uh, and for a lot of people, I don't, I don't know that I would have accepted it, but I was, I was astounded and honored to go on the air with Brad Steiger. And so there are numerous shows out there spread across various radio programs where, you know, you'll, you'll have me and brad on together each answering questions and i was uh, just um, always so amazed that uh, even though he had this great age difference that he thought enough of my work to bring me on with him and that shows you the kind of guy that uh that he was in fact i think i'm, I'm going to try to find one of the interviews that i did with him uh, maybe an old speaking of strange if I could dig it up it might be one of those that's in the vault that <laughs> that we can't find at the moment um, but I'll see if I can find one of the interviews that I did where he talks about encountering spirit animals and things like that and I mean and I think uh, for him it was a wolf but um, to make this an even more uh, an even more profound sort of thing for me um, there was an email that Brad sent out along with his wife, Sherry, because he and his wife, they, they ended up writing lots of books together. Uh, he and his wife, Sherry, had been married since 1987. Uh, they had five kids. They have nine grandchildren. And so a lot of the the books are by Brad and Sherry. And Brad and Sherry sent out an email recently saying... That this book coming out later this year is Brad's final book, and everybody on this list got very upset and said, "What do you mean? What do you mean? What's going on?" And um, so he must have known he was going to die. I don't know how he died, but he must have known. But he and I had been in touch most recently because I am actually featured in his final book. The book is called Haunted, Malevolent Ghosts, Night Terrors, and Threatening Phantoms. And so uh, he asked me to write some material to be included in the book and to send him some photographs. And he wanted my point of view. And so I never imagined that uh, I would be included in the final book written by Brad Steiger. It's, It's kind of dizzying. To be in, in this position and to think about um, you know th- these connections that I've been so fortunate to have to people that I admired so much when I was so young, uh, people that seemed like a you know a million miles away, and uh, what a privilege it is to get to know uh, some of these great pioneers of the un- unexplained of the unknown, so we'll definitely miss Brad Steiger, but I guarantee you this. Every time you pick up a Brad Steiger book He's alive again He had a voice that came through his books He was such a storyteller That uh, that's the great thing A good writer can immortalize him or herself As long as As long as the books are around But this is going to be a year I guess Where um, we're going to lose some great people uh, Hopefully it's over But I don't know I mean that's it's pretty weird to lose art And then Brad back to back and you know it makes you wonder doesn't it about these these dates I think Brad Steiger died on May 6th and Art Bell of course he had the one everybody will remember Friday the 13th in fact I also read somewhere that Art Bell broadcast his first coast to coast am on a Friday the 13th so that's a quite a bookend but I was talking to Lauren just uh, yesterday about dates and numbers and I said you know Lauren what are some dates in your life or in all of history that you can remember month, day and year because something significant happened? And, uh, of course the first thing that she said was, was, you know, nine And, uh, Those of us who lived through 9-11 will never forget that that was September 11th of 2001. But I bet you there are younger folks now who might know September 11th, but they might not get the 2001 part. And uh, then you have people who, of course, may remember the day man walked on the moon or when the day when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. So... I uh you know I asked Lauren if she could think of any other you know date that she was 100% sure that she could get right you know all throughout history. And um I think it was the day man walked on the moon that she said stuck out, stuck out for her because that was around her uh, father's birthday. And uh some connection to your brother also Lauren, right? Oh, that was the year her brother was born. So uh what's that date Lauren? july 20th 1969 um so she had a little help you know a little boost there to help her remember that and so for me uh there's one date that has always just popped out and um i want you to think before i tell you what mine is though i want you to think about this all throughout history what is a date or how many dates have you carried around in your head where something so significant happened that you can remember without a doubt the day uh, or the month and the day and the year so well that if you were to go on who wants to be a millionaire and it came right down to the last question where you can either win a million dollars or lose it all that you have so much confidence that you would say uh, I got this and you would give the month the day in the year knowing with 100 percent certainty it was correct how many things can you think of that have made such an impact in your view of the world well getting back to me i also have a little help uh, i have always remembered december 17th of 1903 so let me ask you, to, now before I tell you what that means I want you to see if you can come up with what is significant about that date for yourself December 17th of 1903 Okay, I'll tell you um, That is the day when the Wright brothers achieved the first flight This is what is known as the first controlled, sustained flight of a powered, heavier-than-air Aircraft And I have a little bit Of help with that as well I think because It took place In North Carolina Where I'm from And our license tags Our license plates Say first in flight Which always pisses off People from Ohio Because the Wright brothers Were from Ohio And uh, I think John Glenn Was from Ohio They have a lot of people or not John Glenn. Neil Armstrong was from Ohio. Um, well, maybe John Glenn, too. I don't know. A lot of the astronauts were from Ohio, I think. But anyway, um, so but Ohio wants to claim the Wright brothers. And North Carolina does. Because what a profound thing, you know, to shift from this impossible dream of flying like some kind of demigod through the air to being able to do it. Now, what happens when you go somewhere? You sit in a chair in the sky and uh, you watch a movie and you're on the other side of the country. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, or you can be anywhere you want in the entire world within 24 hours. I mean, that's just nuts. And that's because of the airplane. And that first flight, it happened about four miles south of Kitty Hawk on the coast of North Carolina. The Wright Brothers chose that location because of the big sand dunes and the really rough winds and uh, they knew wind if they were able to understand how it related to aerodynamics would help them immensely the very first successful flights were done on that day they did about four flights before the wind destroyed their plane, Flyer 1 and I think the, the longest that they were in flight that day was 59 seconds and they went about 859 feet Now, both of those guys were in their early to mid-30s when they were working on this project. Neither one of them had any kind of a scientific background. They both worked together at a, uh, well, they owned a bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio. And everybody in the world was trying to invent a flying machine. The smartest people in the world. And nobody could figure out how to do it. And when these two brothers that everybody considered, you know, yokels who were out of their minds, who were going to kill themselves, were packing all these weird parts onto railroad cars and transporting them all the way down to North Carolina to get out there and fly around, everybody thought they were nuts. Even though there were witnesses and there's film footage and, you know, good documentation of what they achieved, for it took years before... Uh, powers around the world stopped Claiming that they were hoaxers or conmen And uh, even, of course, the esteemed publication Scientific American cast doubts On the uh, legitimacy of these stories About the Wright brothers' experiments And so, um, that's inspiring to me uh, That two self-educated guys could get together and they did a lot of research okay that's that's one thing they were very very good at collecting data and testing things in their own homemade makeshift labs that these two guys could pull this off i mean one of the things they did which was so brilliant was create some great wind tunnels where they could test out different wing designs and airfoils and and they understood more about aerodynamics than anybody else and they also understood more about how to um how to control it because you know yeah there have been basically big ass kites flying around for probably thousands of years uh and you know various types of things you can glide around on but um it's different to get up there and sustain it and to control it and so um that's impressive that's impressive that they did that And it reminds me of how we so often make this mistake of thinking of science as something that is somehow objective. Uh, No, science is just a process that humans use in order to try to explore things, and humans are flawed. And as long as humans are flawed, the scientific method will always have flaws because you have to execute it properly. And sometimes the worst scientists out there are the people who have degrees in science because they've forgotten that you're supposed to be ever-changing. You're not supposed to stick with what you learned in college. The idea behind science is that it allows us to grow and to learn new things and so you could take a brilliant scientist in his time like sir isaac newton who practically invented our basic notion of physics and you could show isaac newton a cell phone and blow his mind okay he's not going to understand exactly what the hell's happening here much less take him to you know some virtual reality arcade or something like that you know he's not going to know what's going on and he shouldn't that doesn't mean he's stupid doesn't mean he was he's a bad scientist it just means that he was at that point in human exploration and it changes you know it's bad science that stays the same it's junk junk science that stays the same learning new things is always going to seem crazy and um but that's what makes it new you know it's it's unfamiliar for a little while Uh, it's like like you know we i was talking to dave schrader the other day and he said something along the lines that i've mentioned myself before that uh you know bigfoot is only cryptozoological until somebody gets one and then it's zoological okay now i'm not saying to you that i believe literally bigfoot's out there but that's just an example you know something is paranormal until we understand it and then it It shifts into normal, and at that point, people forget about all those who were there looking at it at the paranormal stage. And then the scientists, the quote-unquote scientists, step in and say, we'll take it from here. But some of our most brilliant uh, scientists have been self-educated. Look at Benjamin Franklin. Many consider him the greatest example of an American because he was such an independent and innovative thinker. He was an entrepreneur, he worked on so many different projects from writing and publishing to scientific research to politics and diplomacy. And uh, he was a self-educated man. Um, And he taught us a lot about electricity. I mean, how many people are alive today because their ancestors' homes didn't burn down thanks to Benjamin Franklin realizing that putting a simple rod on top of your house with a line going to the ground would divert the lightning away from your house and prevent it from catching on fire um that was just one one simple thing that he did one of my favorite stories about benjamin franklin has to do with the trips that he would take back and forth between the united states and europe and these trips would take weeks on rickety old ships okay it could be a very unpleasant experience and so everybody just tried to stay drunk the whole time except for the captain and uh so benjamin franklin um he liked to drink this spanish port wine called madeira so there was always plenty of madeira on board when he was going back and forth and at that time there was there was a lot of confusion and a lot of perplexion because Uh, It would sometimes take up to two weeks longer to come back from Europe than it would to get to Europe. And nobody could explain exactly why that was. They knew how to handle it, they knew to expect it, but nobody had a good explanation. So Franklin, being a very curious man, decided he would get to the bottom of this best he could. And so on one of his trips from America over to Europe, He would take an empty bottle of Madeira and he would dip it into the water and then he would measure the water temperature and he would plot it and log it. And he did this going back and forth numerous times until he saw a pattern emerge. And that pattern looked like some type of a a river of water flowing from west to east from America over toward Europe. And causing resistance if you're coming back from Europe. And he connected the dots and he said, huh, looks like this is something I'm going to call the Gulf Stream. This current of, or this flow of warm water that's affecting how things are uh, are sailing. And so he actually made a, a, the first map that showed his finding and that, you know, illustrated this thing called the gulf stream and people did not take it seriously for years these merchants continued to lose untold amounts of money uh, eating up up to two weeks of extra time coming back which they could have prevented uh if they had just looked at his map and, and seen how to navigate around the gulf stream but people didn't take him seriously um i think that's a great story because it shows you that There are things around us all the time that are invisible to us just because we are not looking at them from a big enough perspective so that we can connect the dots and see the patterns. I think that's very similar to what you have in the Bermuda Triangle, for example. The Bermuda Triangle is a place where lots of individual incidents occur, but you start connecting them over time and you see this triangular pattern emerge. And so there are all kinds of patterns and all kinds of expressions strewn across the face of earth that we still don't know about did extend beyond earth into well as brad steiger would say time and space and so over time we will plot more of these things and we'll see more patterns and we'll see our lives from a different perspective a larger perspective and eventually we'll see something that will make our lives much easier that we just can't believe we never saw before. I got an email today from a man who bought the Forces of Nature wand, which I invented. And uh, he is so intrigued with this that he says, how does it work? Can you explain to me, he says, is it doing something on the astral plane or is there some kind of thought And he asked me if I would answer that in an email or an article or on the radio. Well, I'm going to answer it here on the radio so all of you can hear it. Uh, it, The Forces of Nature wand is my favorite wand that I have ever created. I have now had more success using that wand than any of the other wands for a wide range of purposes. It is fantastic for attracting money. It is wonderful for changing the conditions of your lifestyle. Um, it is great for altering certain behaviors that you don't uh, don't care for. Um, it, it, I, I call it a wand for manifesting any desire. And, and I sell it with a 100% money-back guarantee. And uh, to my knowledge, I've never had one returned. Here was the idea behind the forces of nature wand. I've always been amazed by magnets, of course, because magnets, they truly seem to be magical things. I mean, they have some kind of an invisible force around them, which can push objects away or can pull objects to them. Um, You can levitate things with magnets. We're not even sure how magnets work. But if you take two powerful magnets and you put their like sides together, like Because every magnet has What they call a north pole and a south pole If you put two north poles together The magnets will push apart So hard They do not want to go together And if you put two south poles together It does the same thing They push apart and they do not want to go together But you flip them around and you hook a north with a south And boom they smack together Okay, And then it's hard to pull them apart So I was thinking well, When you take two powerful magnets And you you take them on their like sides facing each other. So, So let's say like two North Poles that do not want to touch each other and yet you force them to touch each other, then there must be some kind of great potential energy there. And maybe that is energy that will connect with your consciousness and then you, through your consciousness, will allow a release of that energy which could be facilitated by a quartz crystal. And that quartz crystal would literally transduce that energy into some kind of a signal that goes out into the universe. And so that's how I invented the Forces of Nature wand. It has three super-powered neodymium magnets inside of it. It's got a quartz crystal. It's got a coil I explain how this works on my website uh, There's a video there If you go to joshuapwarren.com You can click the link to my curiosity shop And you'll click the link to the Forces of Nature wand As long as I have it in stock I think we still have some And, um, and you can watch the video So to answer the question um, How does the Forces of Nature wand work Well let me just tell you frankly Right up front That I cannot say to you that I quote know how any wand works. These are still mysterious experimental tools. I don't I can't tell you with certainty that it works. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm not sure I can sit down with one hundred percent certainty and tell you how my laptop works. It, but it does. Um it's just, you know, there there's a lot going on there which I haven't learned about. But anyway, um, when it comes to the forces of nature wand i don't know exactly how it works but my feeling is that again you've got some kind of well let, let me let me start by saying all things again are connected so, so a lot of scientists will tell you that, that you know that you've got some fundamental forces of nature and they're not connected you have gravity and electricity and magnetism and the weak atomic and the strong atomic but they don't connect. Well, of course they do connect. We just haven't figured out the connection yet. That's what Einstein was looking for with the unified field theory. And, you know, that's what Stephen Hawking was trying to find. And so um, I think that the the magnetic potential does somehow connect with your conscious energy. So that, in other words, um, your body may have so much power, but when you grab that wand and your body's power connects with the potential energy between those magnets now it's like you have a battery pack hooked up to you and uh so that resistance like i say that energy between those magnets it wants to go somewhere and so it starts shooting at that point um connecting into your body and the whole thing is being pulled upward by a third magnet which takes everything through a coil which further enhances it and then finally out the tip of a pointed quartz crystal and I believe that what's happening is that you are you are shooting your intention out into the universe with such increased power and speed and momentum that it creates a much more distinctive sympathetic resonance so what that in other words means is that you are um, you're sending a signal out into the universe that is activating a very powerful corresponding uh, signal to match the signal that you've sent out i demonstrate this with tuning forks you take one tuning fork and you strike it and you hold it next to another tuning fork and even though the first one never touches the second one, the second one will start ringing as well. And it does that because of the signal that's being sent from one to the other. If you have two identical pianos in a big room and one guy walks in and bangs a chord on one piano, the other piano will play that same chord on its own, even though he never goes near it. That's sympathetic resonance. That when you send a signal out, the universe sends a complimentary signal. And so if you go out there and you send a signal of, let's, let's say, attracting wealth or whatever, well, the universe just responds to that and starts sending the energy of wealth back to you. But in the process, it starts reshaping the way all these little physical particles of matter are falling into place. And so over time, this energy mold that you create, it actually produces... The framework that the physical uh, environment will restructure around in order to change your physical reality. Now, I think a lot of this it must be happening in other dimensions, which is why that we don't get to see what's happening in this entire process. But what's new about that? You don't get to see the radio wave that's connecting, you know, one, well, let's say a cell phone. You don't get to see the beam shooting out of a cell phone From one point to another right you know it's there something's happening but it's invisible you can't feel it so a similar type of broadcasting is happening but there's also something quantum going on here that is a whole different ball game about the way that your mind might actually connect in a non-local fashion with another point in the world where what you want is activated and, uh, and starts to manipulate your world so that you get what you want. Now, if that all didn't make perfect sense, then you know it, there's a reason for it. We don't exactly understand how to reduce all this down. But I guess, in a nutshell, I would say I think this wand works because it is an especially good power supply. For firing your intention into the universe To create an extremely effective sympathetic resonance To bring you what you want That's how I would put that in one sentence And even though I'm really busy right now As you know Because I am days away from my huge event here in Las Vegas um, Mr. Mobius He has the wands that I have made and my workshop and he is handling the shipping to make sure that those wands uh will get shipped to you effectively if there are any again remaining i think there ought to still be some i'm not sure uh, but that's it if you go to joshua click the link to the curiosity shop you will see the wands, and uh plenty of people buy two three four of them at a time because they know that this is once they're gone they're gone for good until i someday possibly make another batch and that may never happen um so you're not going to find this anywhere else this is my 100 percent unique invention um so and and, you know i want to also pause for a moment here to just give mobius props in general um because you know mobius himself i don't know how much you know about him Some people have doubted that he exists. They think he's some imaginary character that I make up to talk about when convenient. But no, Mobius is a real person. Many of you who listen to this podcast have met him. He and I have been great friends for a long, long time. I don't even know now, maybe 15 years. And he's always been one of my most trusted associates. And whenever there is some kind of a matter that arises that is related to any type of experimentation, uh. I always call him up and say, what do you think about this? And there have been times where he has just saved the day. Uh, he is kind of like a young Benjamin Franklin. I guess he's not so young anymore, but, you know, you get the picture. And so, um, but he's he, he really is kind of a mad scientist. We're kindred spirits in that way. And when Warner Brothers came to me and said, we want to put on this big elaborate show where we try to create an apparition, how do we do it? And I knew that, you know, my plan was to take brain waves and then um, transmit them ultimately through a Tesla coil and enhance the room with electrostatics, etc. First person I called was Mobius and said, hey, let's work together on this. And it turns out there were some times where we were sweating pretty heavily and it looked like that there were some things that we were not gonna be able to do. And he figured out how to do them. And what's interesting also about him is Mobius often will have a dream about something and it will be explained to him in his dream. So he has no doubt whatsoever that there is a connection between um, the astral plane and the dream plane and what you can learn from it in a psychic way. Um, he's also worked on shows like Fact or Faked, you know, where they would have him on as an advisor to talk about you know, ideas for how to test different types of UFOs and stuff. So I'm very, very fortunate to have Mobius and his staff uh, working with me for so many years, and, you know, Mobius, uh, he gets all of this. You know, like I, I was mentioning with Brad Steiger, there aren't many people who who actually kind of get this. It takes a while to get this. You Even if you don't get it, you will if you stick with it long enough it's a matter of seeing those deeper connections and so uh but it's it's even better when you can you can get hands on with it and turn it into technology and so i'm very grateful to have mobius uh doing such a wonderful job all these years as a a great partner in all of these bizarre projects and even when i'm out here on the road so to speak and and doing things that are um, time consuming Uh, He he does his best to hold down the fort and make sure that if I tell you about something, it'll get shipped to you from his workshop in North Carolina. And, uh, of course, he works closely with Dr. Mulder on wishing machines because Dr. Mulder makes those in his workshop in South Carolina. And, um, you know, betwixt the three of us, we, we have sold a lot of weird stuff to a lot of people. And from all the feedback we get, We've changed a lot of lives for the better. So it's a pretty cool gig to have in life. Well, speaking of my event, uh, it's time for me to get back to work. I still have plenty of things to do. Uh, If you've never produced a major three-day event on the Las Vegas Strip at an MGM hotel, uh, you might not realize just how much work it is and it that you work right up until you open the doors and so uh, any of my friends and associates who might arrive a day early I want you to please understand if I am unavailable to hang out with you but I will not hesitate to call you and ask you to do something for me (laughs) if you can be of assistance but um, but just be very understanding that i am pulling off something big here it's a big vision it's a big event and there are a lot of decisions that have to get made and a lot of things that have to be done right up till the last second so that's why i gotta get off here and run around las vegas and let me remind you that you know even though this event is coming up in five days now it's uh may 16th 17th and 18th um There may still be people who, at the last minute, they they can't make it for some reason. Um, And and so if you have an interest in in attending, uh, just send me an email, and I'll tell you whether or not it's possible to squeeze you in. Um, You can email me at contact at joshuapwarren.com. But to make sure you have it right, I recommend you go to my website, joshuapwarren.com. Scroll down to the bottom there and email me. You'll find my email address on the bottom of the homepage. And, uh, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, if you know you can't make it, but you'd still love to have a gift pack of all the goodies from the event, just email me and tell me that's what you want to do. And if you buy a ticket, it'll cost you the same as everybody else's ticket. But I will send you a special pack afterward with the things in it that I will be giving to the attendees I can't include all the free premium booze and the chocolate fountain and the pizza and the sliders and the shrimp and the Asian and all that stuff, but it'll still be pretty good. So um, you'll find a link to the event also there at the top of joshuapwarren.com and you'll find a link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. I try to leave one for you every day, but it's really tough. When I have busy times like this. But this podcast is always short. It's always free. If you click the link. You will be able to subscribe via various means. Or just follow me on Twitter. At Joshua P. Warren. And I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.